0: Whenever a new Jesus film was released, there is one movie that the headline writers simply cannot resist referring to, The Greatest Story Ever Told. Made in 1965, its budget was a massive $20 million. That's almost as much money as Mel Gibson spent 40 years later on his The Passion of the Christ. Sadly for director George Stevens, its box office receipts were far less impressive. The greatest story ever told slumped so spectacularly that it sunk the final nail into the coffin of the biblical epic. On paper, it should have been a roaring success. Director George Stevens otherwise had a credible and successful body of work, including the western, Shane. The screenplay was based on a popular best-selling novel. What's more, it featured seemingly every star in Hollywood at the time. Yet some of those supposed strengths actually turn out to be weaknesses. The array of cameo appearances by movie stars simply proved distracting, making it all too easy to reinstate disbelief. It should be noted that this is much less of a problem for those born much later. Secondly, George Stevens had been paid a massive $1 million to make this film, which is perhaps an indication of how much power he had. Untethered by studio execs, his excesses roamed free unchecked. Thirdly, it's almost a rule of novel adaptations that the film is rarely as good as the book, even when the adaptation is as loose as this one. The previous two factors also contributed to the fourth reason the film was a flop, its colossal runtime. The original cut of the film was an incredible 4 hours and 20 minutes, making it the longest commercially made American movie shown in America. In the 40 years since the release of The Greatest Story Ever Told, the way we watch films has fundamentally changed. The advent of the home video, and later the DVD, has made watching long films much less of a challenge, and this allows us to reflect more on the film's undoubted strengths. Firstly, there is the lead performance of Max von Sydow. Von Sydow was relatively unknown, at least outside art house circles, at the time the film was made. This was, of course, in stark contrast to many of his co-stars. But he had already proved his ability to play introverted, philosophical characters in the string of films he made for the legendary Swedish director Ingmar Bergman. His performance in this film is impressive. As Peter T. Chataway once noted, As overly pious and plodding as George Stevens' film might be, and as much as I might not like the hair and makeup job given to this particular Jesus, I do think Max von Sydow does a masterful job of portraying a Jesus who is in touch with his emotions, fairly rugged, somewhat otherworldly, and full of authority. It's possible to criticise how George Stevens instructed him to play the role, but the execution of those directions has stood the test of time. Another major strength of the film is the photography. Initially, Stevens had scouted out Israel, but ultimately decided to film in Utah. It was a strange decision, but one that enabled Stevens and his cinematographer William Meller to capture some astounding images, even if they bore very little relation to how things would have looked in first century Palestine. However, the problem with this is that these shots are dominated by the sparse natural beauty of the landscape. God incarnate is somewhat dwarfed by his creation. Nevertheless, the interior shots are no less unimpressive. The lighting of these shots contrasts greatly with the bright exteriors. These dark, shadowy images reflect Jesus' disdain for those able to live inside them, separated from creation and detached from the suffering of the poor. Stevens' best-known film, Shane, is a Western and in many ways the greatest story ever told retells the story of Jesus in the vivid language of that genre. The film's mood and its Jesus seem far more at home in the desert and the open spaces. Perhaps this reflects some of the other Gospels' ambiguity about Jerusalem, but it certainly owes a great deal to the Western. The long running time may well have put off many of the film's potential and original audience. It does allow the viewer a long time to inhabit these images and enjoy them for what they are. It can give the film a meditative feel where the viewer allows the beauty and the perfection of the images to wash over them. That said, any such contemplative activity will doubtless be disturbed by many of the film's crass elements. Consider, for example, the scene where John the Baptist, played by Charlton Heston, manages to momentarily delay his arrest by forcibly baptising the soldiers as they approach. Or the moment when John Wayne's centurion infamously announces that surely this man was the son of God. Or the closing scene of part one, where some of the men Jesus healed jog up to the walls of Jerusalem to the tune of the Hallelujah Chorus from Handel's Messiah. In fairness, this last scene may have been far more impressive at the time, but if so, it has most certainly not aged well. What are the film's sources? Other than Fulton Ursula's novel, the film is obviously based on the Gospels. Whilst the screenplay harmonises aspects of all four Gospels, it is is particularly interested in the Gospel of John. Like the Gospel of John, the movie starts with a clear picture of who Jesus is. Here, the opening shot is a fresco in a cathedral. The film is also a great deal more interested with what Jesus teaches than his miracles. Despite the long running time, only two miracles are actually shown, the healing of the blind man and the raising of Lazarus. And both of these can be found in John. The latter event also acts as the turning point of the narrative. Something else this film shares with John. Finally, the overall portrait of a mystic, otherworldly saviour is most in line with John's Jesus. The other source that the film uses is the Old Testament prophets, with references from Isaiah, Jeremiah and Hosea being most prominent. In fact, the sixth verse of Hosea, chapter 6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, is repeated three times in the film, although only twice in the current version available on DVD. In many ways this sums up the Jesus of this film. It is right attitude that is more important than right action. Mercy rather than sacrifice, teaching rather than miracles, devotion rather than spectacle, and perfectionism rather than box office success. While this might not be the greatest version of the greatest story ever told, it is certainly one of the most devout. Thanks for joining me. Next month I'll be looking at Dennis Arcan's 1989 film, Jesus in Montreal.